Thank you, Pastor Darrell. Good morning, everybody. I think he's got rather a charming accent himself, don't you? That's... Well, just I know you've uh, already done this, but you've had a lot of information, a lot of words this morning. So let's just take a break for a moment. Why don't you just turn around and say hi to the person that you avoided earlier? Just go ahead and <laughs> just just go ahead and just turn around and, and just say hi. And... You didn't really avoid them, I know that, but. Hey, last weekend I, uh, I mentioned snow was coming, but I got the wrong country. Uh, anybody who's seen the news this week will know that in England, I just got off the phone with my daughter ten minutes ago. Uh, she's back there in England. They had more snow in one night than they've had in ten years. Can you imagine? And we've only got like one snowplow back in England. And the guy's on vacation, so... Uh, there you go. 20 days until Christmas. How many of you, Pastor Darrell was mentioning earlier, how many of you got all of your Christmas shopping done? Raise your hand now that we might collectively despise you. That's great. It can all be about the food, can't it? The average person in the West, it's kind of terrible stat this, they, they consume 7,000 calories on Christmas Day. Ugh. It is said that when it comes to shopping, the most difficult person to buy a Christmas gift for is dad. Dad. Well done. Those of you that said dad, you may have won the new car. Congratulations. That's good. It can all be about the shopping and the eating, but uh, for the next few weekends, we have got a little series here called Reflections for Advent. Reflections for Advent. Mary the mother of Jesus, when she discovered what was going to be happening, the Bible says rather beautifully that she treasured these things and she pondered them in her heart. And that's our purpose for these next few weekends as we hurry towards Christmas, that there will be times when we take time out and we just reflect and we think about the true meaning of the wonderful Christmas story. So let's, uh, let's jump in here. And this weekend I want to talk about a man who I think is an unsung hero of Christmas, and that is Joseph, the husband of Mary. Let's take a look at him. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 2 when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. I confess to you that I absolutely love Christmas. It seems to me like it's getting started earlier every year. Have you noticed that too? But I enjoy the Christmas season. I love getting Christmas cards, but I also confess that there are some Christmas cards that kind of irritate me slightly because of the nativity imagery that is on them. It all makes the nativity look kind of cute and pretty and and the figures are fluorescent. They glow in the dark. It's all otherworldly. Mary is dressed from head to foot as a blue nun, which is an odd outfit for giving birth, really. <laughs> There's a couple of grinning cows and donkeys sort of in the background, immaculately trained. The hay smells of Chanel number no. five. It's all rather... It's all rather beautiful. But have you ever noticed that Joseph is normally not on the scene? I mean, where's Joseph? Uh, He's a carpenter, so I don't know whether he's fixing a coffee table out the back or something. But very often there is no Joseph. And in the Bible story of the nativity, he is the consummate unsung hero. He's only mentioned 16 times in the Gospels and not at all. He's completely ignored in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew doesn't mention him after chapter 2. Luke doesn't mention him after chapter 4. John only mentions him twice. Most of what we know about Joseph is written in the non-biblical books of the Apocrypha. So why, as we have some reflections for Advent, why should we think about this man, Joseph, today? We know that he had an amazing family background. Uh, Matthew uh, traces his lineage back through David all the way back to Abraham and Luke traces his origins all the way back to Adam. Why bother with him? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, have you noticed that Joseph is a key figure in the story because he is genuinely a man of the supernatural? He has no less than four revelatory dreams which are junction moments in the life of the young baby Jesus. It is Joseph who gets revelation and direction about what he should do, where the family should live. But not only that, but the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. I am intrigued by that statement. He was a righteous man. We were with some friends uh, over Thanksgiving and we were playing some party games. Have you seen that game where you, you just ask each other fairly deep searching questions? Anyone seen that game? It, it's kind of fun, you know, stuff like, would you like to be buried or cremated? You know, that kind of entertaining information. And, and I think one of the questions was, what would you like to have written on your tombstone? And I thought about that, and I've said this before, I was thinking maybe I would quote the great comedian Spike Milligan, who, when asked what he wanted on his tombstone, he said, how about, I told you I was sick. (laughs) I kind of, I want that one myself, I think that's kind of cool. How about this, as a statement on your tombstone, she was a righteous woman, he was a righteous man. 
Now, instinctively, we, we might not necessarily warm to that idea. What does this word righteous mean? And, and how did it work out in the life of Joseph? So let's have a look at this if you're following along in the bulletin. First of all, he was a righteous man. He was righteous and he was kind. He was righteous and he was kind. Matthew 1.19, Joseph was a righteous man. That term righteous, uh, it's used to describe Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth and Simeon. It's a a, a favorite word that Luke uses in his gospel. But let's face it, the word righteous, it might not be necessarily that appealing. Have you ever met, have you ever met righteous Christians? They're righteous in a kind of ugly kind of way. They've got this furrowed brow and they know what they're against, bless God, and they want everybody to know what they're against. And they're not that fun. You, you admire their holiness, you just don't want to sit next to them in heaven. You know, it's like... Righteous, they are, they're what Mark Twain describes people who are good in the worst possible way. And if Joseph had been a legalistic righteous man, as a good Jew, when he discovered that his fiancée was pregnant, one commentator says, as a good Jew, he would have shown his zeal if he had branded her with public disgrace. In fact, this could have been ugly, because he could have shamed her because she was expecting outside of formal marriage. I'll explain that in a moment. They didn't stone people for adultery usually in Jesus' day, but he could have branded her, demanded the penalty of Deuteronomy 22, the stoning for an adulteress. But he was righteous and kind. He didn't want to put her on display. He wanted to end their relationship because his mind was awash with confusion, but he wanted to do it quietly. He wasn't like one of those Christians who loves to catch people doing something naughty. <laughs> Found you out. I want to be a righteous man, but I want to be a man who, whose righteousness is expressed in kindness and in love. And you know one of the best ways you can do that? Just notice people. Just see people. Don't let people be part of the blur of your life. See them. I, I remember years ago, I was out shopping with my son Richard. We were in England. And we spotted a group of Hare Krishnas in the distance. How many know what I'm talking about, the Hare Krishnas? And um, I'd had a conversation with some of these guys a few weeks earlier and they were operating a bit of a scam. They were asking people to give money for the poor, but the money was going straight back into the Hare Krishna cause. And that kind of irritated me. So I saw them and I said to Richard, Richard, 11 o'clock, Hare Krishnas, stand by, brace yourselves, we are going in. We are going to share the love of Jesus with them, whether they want it or not. So Richard gave me a look, one that I've experienced many times. And we walked up to this group of Krishnas and they completely ignored us. I'm tech, man. I'm like, why is it that when you, when you want to talk to them, they ignore you? And when you're rushing for an airplane, 45 of them jump out from the shadows and bite you on the throat. So we go by and they ignore us. And I said, Richard, turn around 180 degrees. We are going back. We went back again. We walked slower. We were whistling. I think I had my wallet, my billfold in my hand, ready to give. 
They ignored us. I'm getting mad now. I said, Richard, turn around. We're going one more time. Brace yourself. We go up and our moment of triumph arrived. One of these Hare Krishna guys, he came up and he waved his bucket under my nose. He said, would you like to give to the poor? And with great triumph, I said, Hare Krishna. And he said, yes. And I said, nothing, because I couldn't think of anything. (laughs) And my brain froze. And I said, right, come on, Richard, let's go. We shuffled off. And I got about 10 yards away from the group of Krishnas in this crowded shopping area when suddenly the man I'd just spoken with yelled at me. He said, sir, I am a person. You don't like me and you don't like what I stand for, but I'm a person and you just treated me as a non-person and I didn't like that. And I went back and I realized that then was not my moment to pull out my copy of the four spiritual laws. And I said, I am very sorry. I saw you as an argument to be won, a discussion to be had, an opportunity to be taken. I didn't see you as a person. You know what? People don't want to be our prospect. They want to know if we care, whether we see people. And so Joseph was a righteous man. He was kind. Are we, are we good at being righteous but not so good at noticing? It's a challenge. Secondly, secondly, he was righteous and flexible. He was righteous and flexible. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, let me explain what's going on here. These two are engaged... But it's more than engagement. It's betrothal. What would happen uh, would be that there would be an arrangement made between parents. Normally, when a young girl was as young as 12 or 13, the negotiations would take place. And then a formal betrothal ceremony when vows were exchanged and gifts were shared would take place when the two would be promised to each other. Uh, This was so serious that to break off an engagement in this culture, there had to be a divorce, even though the couple was not married yet. They did not share the same home or bed, but they were promised to each other. Now, Joseph, he's he's engaged, he's betrothed, but his fiancée announces that she's pregnant. Now, I, I... Just put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. Because it's getting obvious she's pregnant and people are talking and they say, Joseph, what's been happening, buddy? And he says, well, you know, the Holy Spirit did it. (laughs) Hello? Cuckoo. He has got a real dilemma here and so... He decides he's going to end the relationship. He takes a nap. He experiences a dream. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Marry her. And guess what? He changes his mind. He admits that he's wrong. Three of the greatest words you can ever say. Three of the greatest words I can ever say. They go like this. Are you ready? I was wrong. 
Some of us think that the universe will explode if we're wrong. Particularly righteous people. Some righteous people are never wrong. I was out with a friend some years ago. We were just looking around at real estate. I know nothing about it, but we were looking around at real estate and houses and we stopped outside this house. It had a for sale sign, had brochures. I picked up the brochure and I looked at the price and I looked at the house and I turned to my friend. I said, I said, mark my words. This house will never, ever, ever sell. Trust me. And he looked at me with respect, you know, like I should start seminars and stuff. Just as we're standing there, a car pulled up with a realtor's sticker on the door. The lady got out the car. She opened the boot of her car. She opened the trunk of her car. And she pulled out a sticker, which she stuck on the for sale sign, and it said one horrifying word, sold, sold. My friend looked at me like, cancel the seminar, buddy. I was wrong. Sir, can you be wrong? You spend all your life trying to make it look like you were right when you were wrong. Why not experience the liberation of being able to say, yo, I messed up. You don't have to say the yo part. <laughs> I was wrong. I made a mistake. I sinned. I failed. Joseph was righteous, but he was able to change direction. How about us? Thirdly, Thirdly, he was righteous and self-controlled. He was righteous and self-controlled. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. Now, let's look at this for a moment. These two are married now. And, and by the way, everybody, they're a normal married couple with normal married couple desires, okay? Let's not think anything weird about this. Uh, this, this does not teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin in fact, the Bible is very clear, Matthew 12, 13, Mark 3, Jesus had younger brothers and sisters. So what we are told here is not perpetual virginity, but simply a season of self-control until the baby Jesus had been born, most likely to make sure that everybody knew that there was no sullying the story. This really was a virgin birth. The point is this, there's self-control here, both in Mary's case and in Joseph's case. Self-control is tough, isn't it? The great St. Augustine prayed, O oh Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> isn't it tough sometimes? I wish I could just flip a switch, you know, like a default setting on the computer that said, you will love exercise daily. Wouldn't that be cool? If you could just have like a kind of moral cruise control. But, it, you know, it's a, I, have to, I work out every day. You don't get a physique like this by accident, honey. And I, uh, <laughs> just kidding. This morning, 5.30 a.m., my alarm clock had a demonic manifestation. 5.30, and, I, and it's time for me to do my run. And I hate it. Hate it. Hated it for years. I'm going to carry on hating it. And I'm lying there in bed, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. And those voices in your mind, they say, you're 54, you're going to die. <laughs> it's early, but order pizza for breakfast. 
and you have to get out of bed and, 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 and put your, your, your sports stuff on and go, go to the treadmill and attach yourself to that agonizing, tormenting machine. I wish there was a default setting that just said it will be easy. You know what? There isn't. Every day of our lives, we have to make choices. Ma'am, are you on the brink of a disastrous choice because your hormones are screaming and your logic is fading? And you know, if you would just stop and think that this is a disastrous choice, where are there areas in our lives where God is challenging us through Joseph's and Mary's self-control? Fourthly, Joseph was righteous and sensitive to God's leading. He was righteous and sensitive to God's leading. He got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Imagine this. You wake up in the middle of the night or you, you have a sleep and an angel appears and says, I've got good news and bad news. This is my paraphrase. The good news is you're emigrating. The bad news is you're emigrating now. Like now, get up, go to Egypt. This man, I've already said, had four dreams which were pivotal moments in the unfolding life of the young Jesus. I want to be really careful about what I'm saying here. In Timberline Church, we believe that God still speaks to us today through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that that can mean, that it could mean that there are occasions when God might speak through a dream. He can do that if he wants. Now, be careful about that. Do you ever meet spooky Christians? They... they they hear from God 50,000 times a day and they have a red telephone to God. And they try and find meaning in everything. You know, everything means something. I ran out of gas this week. What is the Lord trying to teach me? He would say unto thee, Fillest thine tank. Oh, stupid, stupid child. You know, we can get sort of spooky spooky who are you going to call who are you going to call you know it's going to be weird that was not part of a worship song by the way that, that. <laughs> but all of that said God can speak through dreams uh, my grandmother was a wonderful lady she was so good she had absolutely no desire to have anything to do with God whatsoever. She's one of those people I never saw her do anything bad. She never said anything bad about anyone. She's super nice, you know, had an apple pie in her hand at all times. She was just great. And uh, not a churchgoer. And, and one day, as a young preacher, she, she said to me, Jeff, she said, grandson, I want to come and hear you preach. And I thought, great. Good. I'll create my very best why grandparents need to come to Christ immediately <laughs> sermon. So I prepared my message. Of course, I didn't do that. But sometimes people say, were you trying to get at me during that sermon? No. Okay? No. We don't do that. And I, I just prepared a sermon which included the gospel and uh, I hoped that she would respond. Anyway, that was going to be Sunday morning. Saturday night, I went to bed, went to sleep, and all night I dreamed the same dream. And I heard a little voice saying, 
There is a broad way and there is a narrow way. There is a broad way and there is a narrow way. There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. And I woke up, went back to sleep. Same dream. There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. Now, I'm pretty stupid, but I I woke up the next morning and I thought, I think God might be speaking to me. (laughs) Yeah. So I scrapped my great sermon and I prepared quickly a message on there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. I go off to church. My grandma's sitting back there looking bored, senseless. I mean, she... She wasn't engaging with the worship. She didn't look like she was enjoying anything. She's looking around, you know. And then I got up to preach and she looked even more bored. (laughs) She's completely detached from the whole thing. And then I just said, there is a broad way and there's a narrow way. And I looked out at her and she burst into tears. At the end of the service, she gave her life to Christ. So I went back to talk to her. I said, Grandma, what happened to you today? She said, I haven't got a clue. (laughs) She said, I was sitting there minding my own business, slightly bored. And she said, suddenly you said there's a broad way and a narrow way. And I started to cry. She said, I don't even know what those words mean. I don't even know what you were talking about. But those words were the arrow that got through to her heart. Do I understand that? No. Does that mean that every dream I dream is a word from God? No. (laughs) N-O. Don't come to me and say, you know, last night I had a dream about three panda bears (laughs) that were driving in a Cadillac to Los Alamos singing I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy with five turkeys in the trunk and a bear on the roof. You're thinking, did you just make that up? Yeah, I just made that up just then. That's why it was so stupid. Let your friends help you if you think that God is talking to you through a dream. And let them say to you, no, O foolish person, this was last night's pizza. We can help each other, but let's affirm that God does speak and can speak. Well, the last thing I want to say, this is very important. Joseph was righteous. He was righteous and faithful. He was righteous and faithful. In Luke 2, now Jesus is a a young boy. He's gone to the temple with his parents. They've lost him. They're a little upset. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Didn't you know, he says, He says to his parents, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And here's my favorite words. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Hooray! And hallelujah. Why? Because this is the woman most blessed above all women. This is the only woman in history to ever experience a virgin birth. This is the guy who had four supernatural dreams and now it says, and they did not understand. If they didn't get it, it's okay when I don't. Are you like me? Sometimes questions and doubts can snap at you. And your questions, they start off like little mosquitoes. Buzzing around, buzzing around your ears and your mind. Then you close your eyes and you open your eyes, and they've morphed into Rottweiler dogs. 
and they confront you and they bark at you. And you can feel like you can't carry on with your faith because you can't figure that answer out. Or why did that happen? Or what about this? And you're confused. I've got news. If it's all right for the, for the woman who bought Jesus and her husband who experienced angelic visitations, if they had moments when they didn't understand, it's all right for you to. I need to say to somebody here, it's okay for you not to know. It's all right. Thank you for trusting him with your question marks. Thank you for realizing that faith is not arriving at a place. I just figured this out yesterday and I'm 54. I think I should have got this by now. I just realized yesterday that faith is not about arriving at a Hawaii beach of life where the temperature is perfect. There's no possibility of sunburn. There are no pressures and problems and mortgage payments and hassles and questions and fears. Because <sighs> you get to that moment and then it's gone. And you move on to the next pressure. Faith is about trusting God in the midst of the questions and the pressures and the fears. And Mary and Joseph didn't understand, but they were faithful and they trusted anyway. Are you tormented by questions and fears? And are you feeling mildly hypocritical for even being here? I want to, I want to say to you, well done. Well done for trusting through the questions. Joseph was a righteous man. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story that we have <clears throat> begun our Advent reflections around. A righteous man, but loving and kind. We don't want to be good in the worst possible way, Lord. We would like to be those who notice people. Who treat them as people. We thank you for this man's ability to be able to face this harsh truth. I was wrong. I was wrong. Around this building, Lord... In the South Auditorium, may it be that some of us today are embracing that reality and are determining to go from here and have that conversation. I was wrong. I can be wrong. Thank you for the self-control, Lord, that was in Joseph and Mary. Lord, would you grant to us when pressure is on us, when hormones scream, when temptation lures, would you help us to make good choices for good things? Would you be kind enough, Lord, to make us people who are sensitive to your voice? 
and know how to listen to you. Speak to us, Lord, however you do it. May we be people who hear you. Lastly, Lord, we pray today for those who are in that place where it can be said of them, they do not understand. They have prayed their prayers. They've sought advice. They believe the best. But now they're living with questions and fears and they don't understand. There is a fog of confusion. I pray that they might know today that you see their trusting hearts as they do faith in the fog and that they will be strengthened by knowing that it's okay not to know. And now, Lord, we whisper our own prayers to you. May we be truly, authentically righteous. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord, may we we make your name famous because of true righteousness. We pray for the Adopt-A-Family program that is far more than a program. Help us to respond and change the lives of more families. We pray for the wonderful Purim party, Lord, that's happening this afternoon, the first of these bridge activities. We pray that many hearts will be touched and blessed by your love. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Before you go, I need to say to you, this is my uh, last weekend before Christmas. I'm going back Wednesday to England with, to help with some snow clearance back there. So, so it's my opportunity to say a Merry Christmas to you all, Timberline family, and uh, a wonderful, happy new year. God bless you. It's great to be part of the family together. Merry Christmas. Our, uh, our prayer team will be here to pray with you. If you would like, we would uh, really love that. God bless you. Have a great weekend.